Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for tech professionals. We work to simplify your finances so that you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burkwell and Alex Collins. Welcome back to Beer and Money, episode two. Today we're gonna be talking about the most frequently asked question we get. And that is, what do I do with my bonus or my restricted stock unit? My name is Ryan Burklow, I will be your host. And I'd like to reintroduce my co-host, Alex, I went to the University of Washington, I'm sorry, Collins. I'm not sorry for being a Husky, go dogs. It is far and away the most frequently asked question from from our clients at uh, the big tech firms in the Seattle area is, what do we do with my bonus? What do I do with my RSUs? And what's what are the next steps with these things? <clears throat> it sounds cliche, but we have to ask questions to get more to the bottom of it. Really, the first thing is, do we need to use it for lifestyle? One of the big employers around here, upwards of sometimes 60, 70, I think we've got one client that 80% of their compensation is in the form of their restricted stock units. And so it's almost impossible for them to live their life without relying at least partially on that, that RSU for lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, you're actually right. Obviously, if you're utilizing it for lifestyle, that just is what it is, and we understand that. I mean, being in Seattle here, the cost of living is not uh, the cheapest uh, no, it is in, not. The, in the United States. But the money that is left over is, is, is really what they're wondering. Like, what do they do with the money that they don't have to use? And it's also easy for that bonus to expect that bonus to come in the door, and the bonus is already spent. Like, I'm going to Maui in August because I get my bonus in August. And let me just put a caveat there. We're not all about like you should save every single penny and not enjoy life and go on vacations with your family. It's more of making sure that you're saving appropriately so that you can go do everything else that you want to do so you don't have to worry about it. Absolutely. It's creating that financial balance of enjoying today. Most of our clients in tech put in ungodly hours, whether it's, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours during a deployment or, you know, working really super hard to get the big promotion. And we have to enjoy life. It can't all all be about the future. That said, like one of the big things, Ryan, is, is trying to avoid lifestyle creep. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's really to my to the point initially around the vacation, right? So as the bonuses are getting bigger and bigger, as long as the lifestyle doesn't also creep at that same bigger and bigger pace, that's the ideal situation. And it's hard to do. I mean, even myself included, for me to sit here and say, as my income has gone up, I haven't already spent some of that money that as income went up would be a lie. However, I do have a plan in place so that I am capturing some of that money and putting it in buckets, if you will, 
so that it doesn't get lost in the sauce of life. Yeah, exactly. The, the concept of that wealth coordination account where we're setting dollars aside as they come in before everything gets spent and making sure that we're increasing that anytime we wind up with a raise, a bonus, things of that nature. And, and so I personally, I'm, I'm part of the 85% of Americans that are spenders. And one of the tricks for me and my family is making sure that I trick myself into spending on savings. Yeah. I mean, you brought up the wealth coordination account just so that we explain what that is. When we talk with people, we, we want them to have an account where the account is specifically designed to purchase assets. And when you sell those assets, it goes right back into the wealth coordination account. It's an account that allows you to capture the money specifically for the growth building of your portfolio and doesn't get lost in the sauce of life. What, what type of account here are we talking about, Ryan? Well, to purchase an asset, you typically have to write a check. So a checking account is ideal for that, that reason. And it's just dedicating a certain amount of money every month. I mean, to some extent, well, I'll do a comparison here. It's like your 401k where it comes out of your paycheck every month and you don't even think about it. This is an account that is not coming out of your paycheck in terms of from your employer, but it comes out of your checking account that is maybe where you're paying all your expenses and that automatically gets funded into the wealth coordination account to purchase more additional assets. Actually, we've got some clients that wind up being able to split their paycheck between two different bank accounts. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. So you could set it up that way as well. But the point of the account is asset building and it doesn't get lost in the sauce of life. That way, the other money that's sitting in your account, spend it. Right. Enjoy it. The other aspect of this account is we typically recommend having it at a different bank across town. The idea is out of sight, out of mind. We have a couple other couple clients that uh, have banks that allow them to allow them to hide bank accounts from their online profile. That works too. It's all about personal preference and finding what works for you. What we've found is that having the money in a separate financial institution. By all means, link the institution so it's easy to send money back and forth. The goal is to make it a conscious thought of having to do something with the dollars and setting it up so that dollars go there automatically so it's not conscious thought on that side. Yeah, and I guess one way to look at this is to make it automatic, and we're talking about a bonus here. Look at your bonus structure, right? If we if you get one bonus per year, okay, what is the strategy of how much of that bonus is going to go into that style of an account, right? And it could be 50%, could be 10%, could be 100%. It depends on on what you need it for and, and the I guess the variation of what that bonus will be. Well, in different financial situations for different people. I mean, if we've already pre-spent that bonus because of previous decisions, uh, we may not have a whole lot of choice. Right. So... You know, some of our, some people have, like, let's say we were talking about restricted stock units where it's kind of part of their income and it's vesting quarterly or some, uh, some structure like that. So, again, if you actually have a strategy where, you know, X amount of dollars of your bonus or RSU is going to go into that into wealth building asset. Set the strategy, set it automatic so that it cashes out and goes out. And 
what you just talked about there, setting it automatically, a lot of what we're trying to do is make it systematic, make it repeatable, and try and take emotion out of the decision. You know, one of the things that we oftentimes see is you know, folks at the major tech companies in town will wind up with not only all of, if not most, or most of, if not all of their income coming from these companies, but also a significant amount of their net worth, their investable assets, their retirement accounts are also tied up in the, in the stock of these publicly traded companies. And that can wind up being a huge double whammy if we wind up going through a massive downturn, whether it's specific to, to that company or whether it's you know across the tech sector as a whole or even just the financial markets as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I would say most people understand diversification in terms of from a portfolio standpoint, but also looking at it from where your income is coming from and then where your assets are. If those are the same company, I hate to mention Enron right now, but not that that's going to happen anytime soon, but you want to make sure that we're look, you're looking at it from a diversification of that standpoint as well, not just your portfolio. Yeah, 100% agree there, Ryan. So really, the next step after we've identified how much we're going to save and what the, the structure, the systematic is really having that end goal in mind. What is it that we're trying to to accomplish? And there is no right or wrong answer here. Usually we'll start with more short-term goals in mind and then build out towards the longer-term goals. For example, getting out of debt, paying off student loans, building up an emergency reserve, saving for a down payment for a home, which obviously here in Seattle area, not super easy or cheap these days, could be some medium-term goals. Buying that place in Hawaii, the vacation property, taking a big trip, whatever it is, could be college for the kids, could be starting your own company, having that choice and flexibility. So you mentioned a bunch of things that most people will eventually have to make a decision on. There are different risk tolerances, I would assume, that most people will have for that money. For instance, the money that you're going to use to buy a house, say, in the next year, if that's your if that's your goal, most of the time, the risk tolerance is not as high if you're comparing it to, say, the money that they're saving for retirement. Right. For the same person, absolutely. Now, one person who's super conservative might have the same risk tolerance for their retirement accounts that the massively aggressive person has for you know, money for a year or two down the road. In general, if we're saving for a house in the next year, for the most part, that money shouldn't be in the market. Yeah, and even it's not, there's risk tolerance. There's also uh, the liquidity tolerance, I'll call it that. If you've got X amount of dollars in a savings account and then the rest of the money is, say, is in retirement accounts, when you need money, for bad, better or for worse, it could be another investment, or it could be the oh crap scenario that might occur, you need access to the money. And if it's sitting in a retirement account, that may not be the best solution in terms of liquidity because there might be fees, there might be taxes, penalties. Maybe you could take a loan from it, but the, it's definitely not as liquid, say, as sitting in your checking account. Well, not only that, but like you talked about the oh crap moments, those are oftentimes the, 
the times that it's worse to try and go to the bank to get a loan, whether it's against an asset like your house or even just go get a personal loan because we're already in crisis. We're not going to typically look very good on, on paper because we're in crisis. Right. So to your point, if, if we actually have money that we have access to in the OCRAP scenario, you actually could go get the loan. So you can keep the savings there because you have the collateral to back it up, which allows your money to work maybe harder for you. Yeah, absolutely. Making sure that we've got good financial balance provides extra liquidity. It allows us to, to act differently with the rest of our money. And that's one of the things that you'll constantly and consistently hear from us is how one aspect of someone's plan will allow them to do di things differently in other aspects of their plan and how interconnected all of these different financial tools, structures, products, etc., are. So laying the foundation is ultra important to be able to do that. So I, we've already mentioned kind of the short-term checking savings. We've mentioned the long-term retirement accounts. What we haven't mentioned is that midterm bucket. Oftentimes, we don't see the midterm bucket actually out there. The purpose of that midterm bucket is for everything we just mentioned, purchasing a house, other investment opportunities, real estate. There's a bunch of, you know, if you think about the standard person that's working right now, they might have a 20, 30, 40 year time horizon until retirement. What can happen over a 40 year time horizon that you might need extra money? <laughs> just a few things. So just having those things. buckets, that foundation allows the ultimate flexibility to do that. Yeah. And when well, every client's going to be a little bit different, we we're not talking about having to have the money in the market or out of the market. It's really making sure that whatever plan we put together is specific to your, your situation. So you're going to want to tailor your medium term bucket. And we, we encourage folks to think about it from a standpoint of what characteristics do you want your money to have characteristics like, you know, what type of rate of return do we want to get on this money? As much as we can, right? But now, is it more important to get a big rate of return or to have the money be safe and secure and not be subject to the whims of the market? Whether, you know, if we go through another 2008 type market and the market drops you know, 30, 40, 50%, what does that mean for our investment and how liquid is it? So thinking about it from a liquidity, a safety, a rate of return standpoint, thinking about it from a taxation standpoint, diversification, how do all these components come together and really thinking through why do we want money in different places? And even within that medium term bucket, we might have some dollars that are fairly conservative and some dollars that are fairly aggressive because that medium term bucket might be you know, five years on the short period and 40 years to your point on the long period. Right. So, I would state this, the first thing as, as we started this, this part of the conversation around, you know, what's the purpose or the end result you're looking for, you should be looking at your finances and saying, okay, do I have enough in my emergency reserve to cover me for the oh crap scenario? If you do, great. Next step, do we have a midterm bucket? And what is that going to look like from an allocation standpoint, risk standpoint, liquidity standpoint, taxation standpoint? And if you've got that, then maybe, and this is the next question that we often get is, then maybe we start putting extra money 
into the retirement accounts. And so, you know, can you put bonuses into work retirement plans? Well, let me back up just a half a step even before then. It, it's not an all or nothing. It's not we put money into the emergency reserve until that is completely full and then move on to the next thing. We might split it up so that 50% of it might go into the emergency reserve and then 30% of it go into the midterm and then 20% go into this long term. And so to, to answer your question, Ryan, around retirement plans, it really depends on the, the benefits. Some of the employers around here allow for uh, bonus dollars to be used for deferrals into qualified retirement plans like 401k. Some don't. So it really depends on what your your plan is. We would encourage you to really sit down and look at what's called your summary plan description that gives you a, a really good idea as to how your plan works, functions, operates. It'll give you details like whether or not you can take a loan, what the details are around that, things of that nature. And the other component that comes along with with the retirement plan question, Ryan, that we get a ton is should I put it into the Roth side or should I put it into the traditional side? Yeah. And the answer is, and you'll hear this a lot is, well, it depends. And it it really depends on what tax bracket you're in now. What do we think taxes are going to do in the future? Um, Just a quick backup Roth versus traditional. Let's just make sure we define that real quick. The traditional 401k or 403b is a model where uh, you're deferring the taxes. It's pre-tax money that goes into the account. It grows uh, tax-free, if you will, or tax-deferred. And then when you go to pull the money out, then you get taxed at ordinary income tax rates at the time you're pulling it out. Right. So whatever your marginal rate is, whatever your income bracket is when you pull the dollars out, and whatever the federal government has changed the tax rates to us on, whether or not the the local municipality, like the state, has implemented a, a state tax. Here in Washington state, they currently don't have an income tax. They're talking about implementing one. Who knows whether what will happen. But and those are all factors that, that come into play here. And then the Roth side is it's after-tax money. So you're going to pay the taxes on the money now. The money gets put into the Roth account. It grows tax-free. And as long as you don't touch it till after age 59 and a half, you get to pull it out and it's tax-free taking it out as well. So you're paying the taxes up front essentially on that side of an account. And while we can't answer whether or not you should do Roth versus traditional on, on this podcast because we don't know anything about you, what you should be considering is, okay, what income are you at now? What's the income maybe going to look like in the future what are your feelings around taxes into the future and are we saying put all of your money in one style probably not uh, but another thing that you'll hear constantly from us is creating balance optimal is almost always having a, a balance not necessarily 50 50 but a balance between the the traditional side and the Roth side you know, one of the things that we universally hear from folks that are early on in their working years and even you know maybe into their 50s is oh when i retire i'll be in a lower tax bracket that's not always the case what we found is that really we identify 
okay, what are the expenses that go away in retirement? If we've paid off our mortgage, the principal and interest payment on our mortgage goes away. Whatever we're intentionally saving can go away. However, our healthcare costs are almost certainly going to go up in retirement. Our travel costs usually go up. I mean, if we've done a good job of planning, that's when most people finally have the freedom and flexibility to do the traveling that they want to do. And then the third thing that we hear a lot of is wanting to spoil the grandkids. Yeah, I mean, even if tax brackets don't change, there there's a good chance of you actually being in the same tax bracket. And if taxes do change for the worst, meaning like you've gone up a tax bracket, now you're paying more in taxes. And so there is this line. So to Alex's point, financial balance, if you have money in each bucket, well, then you have choices when you get to retirement. Flexibility is a really, really good thing. So, so the answer to the retirement plans is yes, some companies will allow you to. And then the second piece of that is analyzing, should it be going into Roth or traditional uh, formatting? Uh, and, and then I know there are some in-service conversion opportunities sometimes in some of these plans that allows you to uh, put money in, into the planet and convert it from the traditional to the Roth um, should it make sense? But you have to understand your your summary plan description to see if you have that opportunity there. Yeah, and if you don't understand it, reach out to professionals, whether that's Ryan and myself or somebody else, but make sure that you understand what your choices are and really have thought through why and how and, and when for the Roth versus the traditional. Like, like we said, it's really about creating balance typically and there's a, a big caveat here, but typically Roth is better off early on in your career and typically traditional is better off later on in your career. But there are circumstances that would flip that on its head. Having the conversation, actually looking at it, step one. And, and that's a huge step because most people are not looking at it with the end in mind. They're, they're like, oh, I have a 401k. I should put a bunch, a bunch of money into it. And that's awesome. We like that. But make sure you're looking at it from when you're going to pull that money out. Now, how are you taxed then as well? Absolutely. And the last, the, the final component to whether or not to put, you know, bonus or, or other contributions for that matter into qualified retirement plans like 401k is whether or not there's a match from your company. I mean, I don't know about you, Ryan, but I like free money. I'm not a big fan. Um, I kind of <laughs> like to, to struggle a bit. But here's the thing. Here's the action items from today's conversation, right? Step one, start with having a plan. Start with knowing what the bonus structure is and have a plan with what you're going to do with it, right? Some of it might be going on the vacation or buying the new car. That's fine. But if you plan ahead, you're more likely to do something with it efficiently at the same time. Step two is looking at it from a standpoint of, okay, what's – what is it I'm going to be doing with it? So what's the end in mind? What's the purpose of that? So looking at the end in mind, we kind of compare it to building a house, right? Anytime I ask this question of who here would build a house without having a blueprint first, like no one raise their hand and say, yes, I would do that, right? We always want a blueprint. So having a blueprint and it starts with those buckets. Yeah. So, when 
making sure that we've got some of these tools, whether it's the the short-term, medium-term, long-term buckets, whether it's the wealth coordination account concept that Ryan and I talked about earlier, or whether it's simply looking at the qualified retirement plans through work, 401k, whether Roth or traditional, whether there's matching, whatever the whatever the concept is, just making sure that we've got a systematic way and a plan so that we're not allowing emotions to dictate our decisions. Yep. So in the next episode, we're going to be talking about, you know, now that we're making money, what do we do with it, right? How do we set ourselves up? Where should the money be going? And what's that cash flow look like? Look forward to talking with you in the next episode. Have yourself a good rest of your day. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and it's not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or quantified financial partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 3585 Maple Street, number 140, Ventura, California, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect and subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Financial Balance is a service mark of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York, 10004. Copyright 2019. Guardian 2019-82451. Expiration 07-2021.